Hey, Courageous Help listeners, Natalie here with an exciting update before we dive into the episode today. So as you know, a theme of this podcast is how current and former assistants are changing the world. And we talk with a lot of guests who have taken their skills and experience from the EA role and opened doors for themselves to other exciting career paths. And given that, I would be remiss not to share with you my own evolution as I make a shift out of my role as EA to the CEO and president and move into another exciting role here at BASE. Something that has always been at the heart of BASE's mission is to unlock all the potential the executive assistant role has to offer in modern workplaces. And an important factor in unlocking that potential is career-centered learning and development opportunities. However, we've heard repeatedly that company-driven development opportunities often don't even account for this crucial role. Because organizations offer little to no development focused specifically on helping assistants uplevel their skills and maximize impact within their organizations, BASE decided that we would do it for them. Whether it's helping EA teams unify by building trust and alignment, refreshing the tactical skill set of an EA, or taking you to the next strategic level in your role, we are creating workshops and intensive courses to help you get there. So I'm really excited to continue working with the team at BASE to create these offerings, facilitate workshops, and hopefully actually get to meet and support some of you along the way. I will also still be here hosting this podcast, talking with awesome EAs, and staying entrenched in advocating for all this role can offer to the world. So with that, thanks for celebrating with me, and let's dive into the episode. Welcome to Courageous Help by BASE, where we believe in the power of assistance to change the world. I'm Natalie Turner of BASE, formerly an executive assistant, now designing learning and development exclusively for EAs to leverage skills and maximize impact. On Courageous Help, we sit down with current and former assistants who are challenging the status quo, from impacting global business practices to molding new career paths and beyond, all while managing their full plate as an assistant. Join us while we explore how today's assistants can leverage their position to drive positive change. Today on Courageous Help, I'm chatting with Jenna Miller. Jenna is currently the Chief of Staff at BetterWorks. Previously, she's held a number of strategic positions at organizations such as BusinessWire, Flux, and Optimizely, and has also dabbled in marketing, recruiting, and fundraising. Throughout her career and personal life, Jenna has always had a passion for helping others. Most recently, she assisted in leading the charge to develop the BetterWorks DEIB initiative, ensuring that BetterWorks is a diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace. Through this initiative, Jenna and other team leaders have promoted an organization of awareness and allyship. In her free time, Jenna enjoys spending time with her wife and two kids in sunny Los Angeles, California. So Jenna, welcome to the podcast. And to start us off, as we heard from your introduction, you have dabbled in a lot of different roles and careers before ultimately landing in an executive assistant and then a subsequently chief of staff role. So can you please share just a little bit about how you ultimately found your way into the administrative space? Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me, Natalie. It's Absolutely. exciting to be here. It's funny when you hear someone else read your bio. It's 
it's always an awkward thing. <laughs> it's a trip, but I, yeah, I, I'm one of those people, which, you know, I feel like I'm definitely not the only assistant in, you know, time and space to have said this, but I have a very like non-traditional career arc yeah. to speak of. Yeah. I, I mean, I dabbled in a lot of things. I was in higher education, nonprofit work. And I think, you know, the thread throughout everything happened to be event management mm. of all things. Um, and I, you know, I mean, as assistants, we do a little bit of that too, but I was working for a nonprofit at the time when one of its board members sort of pointed out to me the similarities between what I had kind of like done at each of the roles that I'd had before and, you know, being an assistant. And she kind of alluded to it being like, I, you know, instead of producing events, I would produce her essentially. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did. She recruited me away and I was, I was ready for something new and I didn't really know what that looked like. And yeah, I ended up at Optimizely and it was, it was truly a transformative experience for me and my first sort of, I guess, official EA role where that's all I was doing and not, you know, wearing <laughs> 27 different hats, yeah. which can happen in the higher ed and nonprofit space. So yeah. And it just sort of evolved from there. I love that. I, I, so uh, earlier in my career, I was a wedding and event planner and it is fascinating to me just how much that dovetails into this kind of a role. Yeah, the crossover skills, I mean, you know, being detail oriented and project managing and communication and planning and sequencing and things like that, you know, they all lend themselves to great event managers, producers, and also, you know, being a great assistant for a, you know, high charged, high, you know, high value executive. So I definitely put those skills to work in different ways. And I mean, there was a learning curve at first, obviously, but also I, I you know, I started out at a company that had multiple assistants. Now I'm at a, co a smaller company and we have fewer, but it was nice to get that experience from the get-go with, you know, peers who were also EAs that could sort of teach me along the way. And, you know, as EAs, we are, we, you know, tend to be perfectionists and quick learners and we know how to pivot and <laughs> improvise and that sort of thing. So, and that's exactly what it was. So it's amazing. I love that you shared that the initial kind of transition and, and being on a team with other EAs is what sort of made that shift a little easier, being able to learn from others and both I'm sure have some things modeled for you, be able to have feedback in sort of a less, less intense way. I, yeah. I, I, f I find myself being a little jealous. <laughs> I'm like my, my initiation into EA, the EA role was, you know, being the EA to the CEO of a company for EAs. <laughs> and so yeah. it was like, I had my own resources and ways to learn, but I didn't have those peers alongside me. So I'm, I'm, Another common skill for EAs is resourcefulness. So I'm sure you obviously you figured it out. <laughs> I did. You like every day in pretty much every way, we just figure it out. We figure you it figure out. out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to dig into our conversation today. And we're going to start off the way we always do with our big question of the podcast, which is, how do you think assistants are changing the world? This is such a big question. <laughs> when I first saw it, you know, I, I kind of tried to ground myself with a little bit of perspective. And so, you know, I, I, I noticed that the latest, I think, webinar that you guys did with Reggie Love 
who has, you know, had a huge impact in many different ways on a more global scale. Just a little. Has, yeah, probably has a different answer for this. But to me, changing the world sort of starts out with you defining what your world is. Mm. You know, I don't see that as a question of, you know, I'm I'm one EA chief of staff, whatever, for someone who works at a small software, you know, firm. I may not see myself having a big impact on the world at large, but in terms of the world of better works, which is where I work, yeah. I like to think that I'm definitely changing the world there. You know, so whether that's making sure that I'm a force multiplier for our CEO in many different ways, or just, you know, really connecting the dots for people there, opening up lines of communication there. I, I know and I can see pretty much every day how I'm having an impact on things. I mentioned to you before we started that, you know, we had an all hands meeting this morning and mm-hmm. with the weather, the way that it is around the, around the country, and we do have a global workforce. It's been interesting, you know, having people join and having to, you know, kind of go off the cuff and, oh, this person can't make it because, you know, their internet's down and they don't even have heat on at their house. And yeah. it's like, okay, you just go into like problem solving mode. And, you know, we made it happen and it's definitely something small, like that did not impact, you know, even our customers or, or, you know, the ripple effects were not felt around the world, but you know, we still needed to put on an all hands for our team and, and get the information out there that we needed to disseminate. And, you know, we had to improvise. So yeah, I think when I looked at that question, I was somewhat nervous thinking, gosh, I don't have an impact on the world, but Mm -hmm. I think you just have to maybe think about what, what world you're talking about. And then the answer becomes maybe a little more clear. I so love this perspective. And I think you're actually the first person we've had on the podcast. We've asked this question very many times, and I think you're the (laughs) first person who has kind of taken it from that angle before because you know we have heard how how the the globe is being impacted by assistance we've also heard about kind of how the assistant world is being impacted by assistance but but having the perspective of well what is my world and how do i want to impact it is is a new one so thank you for bringing that no it's yeah, truly wonderful and and i think that it what it really does is it highlights you know you don't necessarily have to be for lack of a better word like an influencer in this space you don't have to be you know assisting at a company that does have like global impact like you can be making a big difference just to the people you're interacting with every day so I really appreciate that perspective. I and and kind of dovetailing off of that. I know that we spoken in, in your bio a bit about you started the DEIB initiative at BetterWorks and I actually had to google the B part. So for people who don't know, <laughs> DEIB is diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging is the the B. And obviously this is a really important work both in individual organizations and globally. But I would love to hear about how you started this. And if you could also maybe share just kind of your perspective on if there are assistants listening who would want to do something similar at their companies, like how how they could get started with that. Yeah, sure. So I just want to clarify 
really quickly because I would be remiss if I didn't, but I didn't necessarily, I mean, I, you know, I would say I sort of reinvigorated it, but okay, it was yeah. that existed at our company before. And I think we just hadn't maybe given it its due attention and, and resources. So that was something that I could definitely help impact for that group, having yeah. the year of our, what we call our core team or our executive team. So yeah, I, I would like to think that my impact there was just maybe, you know, broadening their reach and helping them sort of fly their, their effect there. But I, you know, I think looking back on how I sort of became involved in that, I mean, I started at BetterWorks not too long before COVID hit and yeah. you know, we had like a widespread pandemic and everybody yep. was working from home. So that sort of like brought its own challenges, but I'm sure everyone, you know, recognizes the name George Floyd and all of the things that were going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and yeah. other, you know, folks who have, you know, come to, you know, such tragic endings at the hands of the police and, you know, just you know, injustice in general. Yeah. And so that was kind of around the time that we decided to reinvigorate our DEIB team and we added the B yeah. <laughs> at that time. But essentially, you know, at a company as small as we are, which is less than 200 people, you know, everyone wears multiple hats already. So I think one of the challenges for us was just, you know, convincing people that it was worth it to spend their time just a few you know, a few minutes a week, a few hours a month, just listening and paying attention and learning about topics of equity and justice. And we were able to get some funding to put on, I, I don't want to call it a training because that makes it sound mandatory. We actually had like a hundred percent participation and it was voluntary across the company learning about, you know, microaggressions in the workplace. And I think when some people hear the, you know, the phrase DEI or DEIB or diversity and equity, they might like may feel intimidated by it. Maybe you don't consider yourself somebody who's diverse, or maybe you've never been part of a group like that. But I think none of that matters in my opinion. And the best thing you can do is just start learning. And so that's kind of where we decided to start was educating ourselves, educating our peers in the company. We brought in an outside team to do that because none of us were experts. We were lucky enough to have support from the tippy top of our CEO. And we've kind of gone from there. Like just this month, we are starting a book club and we're going to be choosing books that are on topics of diversity or with diverse authors and different voices. So, I mean, from that, we've been able to figure out initiatives that work for us that may not necessarily seem like big strides, but I think for a, like, you know, like I said, a 200 person organization, that is big. And I think it kind of goes back to what we talked about before, which is changing your perspective on like, what is your world, right? And so what's possible and what we're capable of right now as a team of, I don't know, probably less than 20 people in the company is doing small, but what we consider impactful things like bringing awareness to Women's History Month or Black History Month or, you know, awareness days and things that go on throughout the year. So yeah, we do what we can and we try to keep perspective about, you know, what's what's doable for us at any given moment. It might not feel like, a you know, major progress in the world, but for us, it feels really good to to focus on that and and have things that we offer our employees to to learn more. Well, and I I appreciate you sharing all that, and I I almost kind of want to 
push back a little bit and just say that, you know, you're, you're talking about this little 200 person company and that's the world that you're, you're impacting and changing, but you know, that creates such a ripple effect in, in the world, in, in the sense of, you know, especially you're saying like it wasn't mandatory, but you had a hundred percent participation. And for people who, are desiring to learn about, I would imagine there are also people who are going home and having conversations around their dinner table about this, or, you know, going out to dinner with friends and sharing with them about it. Or maybe it isn't even about sharing, but even just those micro shifts in how that person might interact with someone that is different than them, how they might look at even like the kind of, like you were saying, you're starting a book club, like even the kind of content you consume and what kind of voices you're taking in. I would argue that 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 makes a huge impact. So (laughs) I I just kind of wanted to to highlight that. I appreciate that. I think as assistants or folks who support others, we tend to minimize probably our role in a lot of things because we're used to being behind the scenes. And that's, that's definitely a shift for me is as a chief of staff and like kind of one of the differences I see is that I am much more visible now within the company. So it sort of pushes me outside of my comfort zone doing podcasts like this, you know, I mean, having a, a voice instead of being the voice in someone's ear is a really huge shift. And I think if somebody's trying to start whatever type of resource group, maybe it's DEIB, maybe, maybe it's a women's group, maybe it's an LGBTQ, you know, ERG group or whatever it is. It's it's scary to go from, like I said, sort of being behind the scenes and having the ear of executives to being somebody who's out in front and like advocating for something. And it takes time to get comfortable with it. And I'm still not hundred percent there and I've been doing it for years. So it's, you know, it's definitely a shift, but I would just say like, take that first step. It's all it takes. Do do one thing that makes you uncomfortable and, and you know, it, it'll start to get easier and easier. Yeah. I wanted to highlight you, you mentioned, you know, starting to have a voice instead of being the voice in somebody's ear. And you said that like, this is something that you're practicing and you sort of said, you know, just take one step, but is there any tip or like reframe in your mind that you could give to an EA who's wanting to learn to like this distinction between having your voice and being the voice in someone's ear? I mean, I guess you could start with a place where you do feel comfortable. So, I mean, I I think we probably all have those people in our organizations where, you know, it feels less risky to sort of speak up. Yeah. You know, I, I can remember being in meetings where I was taking notes and, you know, I would have all of these thoughts and ideas and things like that. And you just have to sort of raise your hand once mm. and say one thing. And it's so scary, especially if you're in a boardroom or, or, you know, somewhere where there's executives or people that are, you know, much higher up on the, on the ladder than you are. But I mean, at the end of the day, we're all people, you know, and I think raising your hand and taking that one first step might seem really scary, but also they're human too. And they had to do that once too. And I'm really fortunate that I've had like mentors and people that have championed me sort of along the way. So maybe that's a good first step too, is like, find your champion, Mm. find your, find your hype person. Like who's going to hype you up the most, you know, maybe it's a fellow EA, maybe it's your executive. Maybe you want to talk to your executive about how 
how you can speak up more in meetings or get your ideas heard by such and such team that, you know, maybe you don't work for that team, but you have ideas for them. Yeah. I find your hype person. I love that. And I love that you mentioned that it might not necessarily be, you know, your executive, it could be another EA, but it could just be someone, you know, whether it's because of your executive's work that they're interacting with a lot, that you happen to build a really great relationship with them and they can be your hype person. They can be your champion. You know who I consider one of my biggest hype people is a fellow EA. My executive happens to sit on many boards outside of our own yeah. <laughs> company. And I would I would say like one of my best hype people is an EA at one of the companies that he actually sits on the board for. And she like organizes all the board meetings and things. But, you know, over the years, we've just become friends and we've you know, been in each other's lives and we've had babies and that sort of thing. And we do kind of hype each other up and, you know, it's, it's sort of a little break from my own company and what's going on. And it's, she's just a real light in my life. And I, I love that. So maybe think outside your company too. It could really be anyone. I love that example. And as we know, EAs and, and chiefs of staff tend to be just incredible connectors anyway, because we have to be by nature of of our work. Mm So I, I really appreciate that perspective. And so this kind of both of these things that we've been talking about, both the kind of raising your hand and saying, you know, I want to start something and then also like finding your champion. I know that a challenge that administrative professionals face is that sometimes their projects and priorities tend to fall to the bottom of the list, which, you know, a good hype person can help you with. But you you mentioned, you know, starting different initiatives in your company it doesn't have to be DEIB, like maybe, maybe your company already has that. But I'm just curious for assistants who are interested in getting involved in company culture or starting their own culture initiative, can you think of or can you share ways that they could tie this to like larger business results to kind of get that buy-in so that these things are able to be prioritized? Yeah, I think one really important role that assistants play in any company is an ambassador of the culture. So, I mean, it's part gatekeeper, but also you have to decide when and how your executive is accessible too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I think it's, you shape the culture no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, So I think, you know, I, I, I don't know about it other companies, but I can think of ways where, you know, back when I was one of many assistants, and it's probably easier when you have peers, to be honest, that are in sort of the same role that you are. But, you know, I can remember trying to like change processes that were just old and didn't work anymore. And we just decided like, hey, we're going to figure out like a better way to do this. And tying that to a business result, you know, increasing efficiencies anywhere is welcomed by (laughs) leadership. So I... You know, I think maybe start there where you where you can have some influence, right? Because we're we're always, you know, running this process or that process or or trying to figure out ways to make more time in the day for our executives or whatever. And if you see an inefficiency in your company and you you know that there's a way to make it better, like it's a perfect example. And maybe it's small. Maybe it's so tiny that like only two people have to do something differently in it 
saves, you know, five or 10 minutes per instance of doing whatever it is that you're doing, but that's still impactful for those two people, certainly. And it kind of gets your feet wet with, you know, trying to, to think differently, thinking outside the box, thinking of ways that you can impact the business that you, you know, have nothing to do with what it is that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Mm, I love that. I have nothing to add. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I, I'm like that. Yep. Yep. You nailed it. I mean, you know, I mean, I think we, we do try to naturally find efficiencies in our executives days. And yes. so if you're in a meeting and you know that this team is working on X, Y, Z or whatever, and you, you're like, gosh, I think there's a better way to do that. Yeah. Like, I mean, what if you get shut down? So what? So what? So what? You know? Yeah. It I might feel it. like a big deal at the time, but you move on. Yeah. <laughs> and you keep looking for those opportunities to speak up and interject and, you know, put forth an idea, however small or whatever it might be. Yeah. Just don't yeah. give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. That's I mean, not really in our nature anyway. It's so not. I don't have any doubt that listeners you know, are just go-getters like we are. Yes. You also mentioned that we're just kind of naturally sort of cultural ambassadors, whether we want to be or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just is part of the nature of this role. And I know I read some of your articles on BetterWorks about, or your, on the BetterWorks website about, you know, I know you wrote about the great resignation. You wrote about creating a culture that people want to come be a part of. You wrote about cultural, uh, like surveying your people about the culture. But I'm curious if you can share about how can EAs or chiefs of staff create like a thriving workplace environment that also celebrates mental health and balance and overall well-being, because that's going to be a big part, especially if people are looking to leave a job and, and come to a new place. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, for sure, I am not the only one who carries that torch, for sure. I mean, it's a huge concerted effort, but I do feel like an important role that I play is keeping my finger on the pulse of what's happening and how teams are feeling. Morale is a huge one. I meet with, you know, I'm a really big believer in like frontline managers having a huge impact on on the company in many ways, culturally and otherwise, because they're the ones that are with the individual contributors day in and day out. So I have really strong relationships with all of our people managers, pretty much all of them. Mm. Because I need to know at any given time, you know, if a team is struggling or if someone's facing a personal challenge and, you know, I can either by knowing the resources that we have, like pretty intimately because they're Mm -hmm. my own resources as well that I've taken advantage of. I think that's important, but for sure, I mean, it's a, it's a joint effort between the people team the executive team, we're really fortunate to have an executive team that's like really super compassionate and, Mm. and, you know, empathetic. And I mean, my CEO is a big believer in work-life integration. You know, I mean, as far as my work goes, it could get done at any hour of the day. You know, there's very few things that are (laughs) deadline-based, I would say, but I mean, occasionally, but, you know, having the flexibility to like pick up my daughter and take her to gymnastics and, you know, come back to my desk after that and catch up on emails and things like that. Like, 
I don't know. I I think obviously the pandemic and working remotely has shown us all a different and probably for some people better way to work. Yeah. And it's it's harder to get that in office culture. I don't necessarily miss it because I was working remotely before yeah. we all had to. But you know, I hear less and less and less people complaining about missing like water cooler talk and being in an office. I mean, obviously it's great when we can all get together live, but I think there's so many ways that we can connect with people and spread our values, you know, whatever your company values happen to be throughout all that you do, that it's, it's less of a red herring now, you know, I think it's more achievable for sure. Mm -hmm. But as EAs, I think in terms of concrete ways, like we have a motivators group, we call them motivators and they're kind of like our fun folks. (laughs) And I, I used to lead that group and now they've just sort of like taken off. And, you know, I guess that's another part of it is like seeing an opportunity, leading it for a while, but also like empowering others to feel like they can continue on without you. And then I just like cheer from the sidelines. I, a lot of people needed to hear that. Like (laughs) I I started it and then I let it go. Mm -hmm. Go I've done that a lot, honestly, in the last year or so, partly out of necessity because I had another baby. (laughs) And so I had to sort of like cut some ties a little bit and, and let folks spread their wings and fly a little bit because I was going to be physically gone. But also it's so wonderful and rewarding to see a group that you started or, you know, led for a while, continue on and do amazing things and have even better ideas than you had. Like that is what gets me going. I love it. I'm like, yes, please do a thousand percent better than I did, (laughs) you know, because maybe that person has more time or they just are more creative. I mean, that's one of the most rewarding things I would say about, you know, being involved in company culture. Yeah. So I just kind of want to recap. It sounded like you said being familiar with your people managers and, and by proxy kind of having a pulse on how everyone in the company is doing. I heard you say like, being familiar with the resources that you have and and making sure that other people know about those. I heard you say incorporating company values into more things and and not letting them just, you know, be something that was on the wall in the break room. But now that a lot more companies have, have gone fully remote or now are hybrid or whatever it is, kind of involving those values in other initiatives and then starting things and then letting other people take over. Perfect recap. <laughs> I love it. I just kind of wanted to tie all of that together. I know. Um, I, I feel like it was a bit like all over the place, but th- I think that's okay. We are all over the place, right? I don't think so at all. I, I was going to say, I feel like it's pretty congruent with, with the nature of this role. So before we close out this conversation, Jenna, are there any kind of threads we didn't get to pull on all the way or any last minute thoughts from anything we've talked about that you'd like to share? I guess one thing that I was thinking about as we were talking about, you know, how we change the world, whatever that means to us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked a little bit about taking various risks, you know, throughout our conversation. And I guess, you know, one, one piece of advice I might have is 
for folks not to feel afraid of, you know, sort of swimming outside their lane a little bit, because I think ultimately, you know, whether it's raising your hand or offering a, you know, alternative view or um, coming up with an idea or increasing the efficiency somewhere, like all of those little, we'll call them micro risks are sort of what add, they end up adding up to your breadth of experience that will help you in the next thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And it might not be something that is in like your portfolio, you know, it might not be a big project that you're overseeing, but those little risk-taking moments add up and, you know, really it makes you who you are as, as an assistant and as a force multiplier. So just don't be afraid to do that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for for pulling that out and, and re-emphasizing it because I you're right. We did talk about it throughout, but kind of calling it out for, for what it is and, and the impact it could have. So the last question I've got for you is just, do you have anything you'd like to promote, a favorite resource that you want to share with the audience or how you want to connect with them? Yeah. I, I was thinking about resources, but I feel like there's plenty of those out there and Base HQ, great place for resources, obviously. But one pretty major problem project that I had a hand in over this last year was that my CEO wrote a book or co-wrote a book. Hmm. And first of all, if you ever get a chance to work for somebody who's writing a book, definitely do it because it's a huge learning experience. And while I did not, you know, I helped with editing and things like that, but while I did not like write the bulk of the book, a lot about book writing is project managing and your EA skills are like perfect for it. Mm. (laughs) So I wanted to promo the book a little bit. You can go to makeworkbetter.com and see a little bit more about it. My CEO, Doug Dennerline and our VP of HR transformation, Jamie Aiken. It's about basically reimagining performance management at work and sort of tossing out the old yearly performance review and modernizing what that looks like and how you can engage younger generations in sort of being a part and feeling ownership over um, the work that they're doing and the subsequent feedback that they get and things like that. So it's going to be interesting and fun. Oh yeah. That sounds incredibly useful. And <laughs> like people in our audience would want to read that. So thank you for sharing or, that. Or at the very least their bosses maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Depending on, you know, how much, how much sway and an impact they have on performance review scheduling and all of that. Yes. But thanks so much for for being with me today and, and sharing all that you shared, Jenna. It was really wonderful talking with you. Thanks so much, Natalie anytime. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Courageous Help, brought to you by BASE. Learn more about how BASE is helping modern assistants maximize their potential at basehq.com or find us on LinkedIn at basehq or on Instagram at the BASE app. Don't forget to subscribe to Courageous Help wherever you get your podcasts.